This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.42 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the last day of January 2020. This is episode 191 of Bitcoin, and in roughly seven hours, the United Kingdom leaves the European Union. In honor of this event, I give you the St. Crispin's Day speech. Oh, my fair cousin, if we are marked to die, we are enough to do our country loss. And if to live... The fewer men, the greater share of honor. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. Brother, proclaim it, Westmoreland, through my host, that he which hath no stomach to this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made, and grounds for convoy put into his purse. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. This day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand at tiptoe when this day is named and arouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall see this day and live old age will yearly, on the vigil, feast his neighbors and say, Tomorrow is St. Crispin's. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, These wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget. Dead all shall be forgot, but he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names, familiar in their mouths as household words. Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son. And Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered. We few... We happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England, now abed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap, whilst any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. Yeah, I ain't the only one that's got a message for everybody in the UK. Apparently, Ledger does too. That's right. Ledger hardware wallet. I'm not the biggest fan because of the way that they do some of their stuff, but I got to hand it to them. 
what they've done here is kind of brilliant. Johnny Emsley is writing for CryptoSlate.com uh, sometime today. Ledger tells Londoners to take back control using crypto and choose freedom on Brexit Day. Hardware wallet provider Ledger has erected a digital billboard over London's Canary Wharf, or Canary Wharf, however you want to pronounce it. Financial hub reading, let's take back control for real, taking a jab at the pro-Brexit rhetoric of British Prime Minister Boris Johnson on the day the UK formally leaves the European Union. And it couldn't be soon. It couldn't have been sooner. Oh, God. In a press release shared with CryptoSlate, Ledger said it saw Johnson's taking back control Brexit tagline as being the perfect analogy for crypto, as it means for individuals to reclaim their financial autonomy. Financial independence has been a theme central to the Brexit debate, a saga that has gripped the nation since a 2016 referendum when a majority voted that the UK should leave the EU. Ledger has opportunistically looped crypto into the Brexit conversation of Cannery Wharf, the world's de facto center for fiat currency, hosting the bulk of the global forex market's $5 trillion a day trading volume. Ledger wrote, quote, on Brexit Day, Ledger is taking out a digital billboard on Cannery Wharf, the center of finance in London, to promote the core values of cryptocurrencies, which align with the underpinnings of Brexit, end quote. Yet Ledger, an EU-based firm headquartered in Paris with offices in San Francisco, USA, and Verzon, France, <coughs> uh, it, it insisted the advertisement has no political component and that the company does not take a stance on the UK's widely controversial decision to leave the EU. A blog post by Ledger conveyed a different message to their official line and rung, up, and rung of political change. The firm pointed to crypto as a borderless media of exchange that could help bring the world closer together as the UK tightened its borders. Quote, Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, has always expressed that the UK should take back control. During his campaign, he highlighted the financial sovereignty of the country and needing to limit its borders. At Ledger, we believe that taking back control means so much more, end quote. Furthermore, Ledger aimed to clarify the link between Brexit and crypto by stating, quote, there are quite a few similar themes in the two, albeit at times opposing each other. For example, crypto is about borderless financial freedom, whereas the Brexit focuses on closing its borders with financial freedoms from the EU in mind, end quote. That's not exactly what's going on, but I can see how a lot of people would actually get that wrong. Anyway, I wanted to read that one right after the St. Crispin's Day speech. And then makes make a, a little bit of commentary here on the speech itself. If you don't know, that's from the St. Crispin's Day or Crispian, depending on how you want to pronounce it. It's, Saint, it's actually St. Saint Saint Crispin Crispian. I know, it's weird. It's from Shakespeare's Henry V. That particular speech was Kenneth Branagh in the 1989 movie Henry V, which he produced, directed, and starred in because Kenneth is sort of like that. Although I got to hand it to Kenneth Branagh. The man knows how to deliver a Shakespeare monologue. He just, he just does dude. I mean, there's very few people that can really pull that shit off. And Kenneth is one of those people that actually does it very, very well. But, uh, it, this was the invasion. It was talking about the invasion of France and Henry V came over with longbows and decided to 
give the French a a good a right good drubbing, which he which he definitely did. This was a speech that he was making to his men before one of the huge battles. Um, but he talks of being a band of brothers. And if you'll go back and listen to that speech, and you gotta, you know, it's one of those things that you should listen to that speech a couple of times. It's a very, very good speech. And not only does it, it speaks of brotherhood, but it speaks of being in battle together. I can only think of the scaling debate wars. I mean, honestly, it'd be awesome if somebody like Crypto Meme Hub or uh, 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 Brecky Von Bitcoin or one, some of the other, uh, really good Bitcoin artists could design us some battle flags, you know, like the little ribbons and shit that, that the military wear, wears. We, we kind of need one. We need one for the scaling wars. We need one for Segwit 2X. We need, uh, we need the fork wars. We need, I mean, honestly, we need it all. But the speech kind of encapsulates not only what's going on with Brexit, but also what we have to deal with on a daily basis in the Bitcoin space, because we're, we are beset on all sides by ignorance that is being fueled by enemies of Bitcoin. And it, it battles will just continuously ensue on this entire thing. As for Brexit, you know, I don't know how many of you guys listen to me that's over in the UK. I especially don't know if any of you that do are pro or, or against Brexit. But I got to say it, man, it's like, you know, letting unelected officials in, you know, in another country dictate what you're going to do financially with your borders, with your military, who you're going to be able to do deals with, who you're not going to be able to do deals with, under what situations those do. That's just, that's all bullshit. And I'm not sure that this is, it has as much to do with about closing the borders as much as taking back your own sovereignty as a country. And if a country can take back its sovereignty, sovereignty, then surely we as individuals can take back our financial sovereignty. Bitcoin allows us to do that. However, during that time that we are fighting to take that back, we will be up against every manner of scum-sucking miscreant that stands to gain from the loss of Bitcoin. Remember that. We are the marketing department for Bitcoin. We are the only marketing department. for. There is no other marketing department for Bitcoin. We are it. And there's a shit ton of us. That's why it makes me, why I'm not actually all that concerned. And the more that we can get the message out, the more that we hire people for the marketing team. So again, once more into the breach, but before we get to the rest of the morning roundup, I'm going to do vitals. Vital statistics, starting with bitinfocharts.com. I got Bitcoin. We've got a fall. I've got it at 9,293.78. Looks like our high is going to be over a bit asset at 9,380. Our low is at GDAX at 9,284. 323,000 transactions were made in the last 24 hours, 13,500 being made per hour. 1.1 million BTC has been sent over the last 24 hours. That's We've had some pretty good volume lately. I'll give it that. Uh, about 
45,000 being uh, BTC being sent per hour. Average transaction value is 3.4 BTC and the median transaction value is 0.026 BTC or about 250 bucks. Block times are at nine minutes and 56 seconds. <clears throat> we have 0.14 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 21 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a dip in hash rate after hitting an all-time high of hash rate. We have a dip of 5.67%, bringing us down to 115 exahashes per second. And it looks like sometime this morning was the last time somebody made a commit to the GitHub core repository. Ethereum, Bitcoin core repository. Make sure I said that right. Ethereum is at 178.36. Bcash is at 370. BSV is at 272. Litecoin is at 67.27. Ethereum Classic is at 11 bucks. Uh, Dogecoin is at 0.0024. 30,000 transactions in the last day for Doge puts it over the top of Litecoin. Uh, looks like, uh, oh, wait a minute. I needed to do mempool stuff. Um, now, my node... This is my Bitcoin node, my own Bitcoin node that I run and I use to help enforce the rules of the network is telling me that the hash rate is actually 112.5 exahashes per second. We've got a light mempool of uh, 2.2.5 megabytes representing only 1,200 transactions. Uh, only a few of the blocks are actually full. Uh, looks like we've we had some serious activity uh, in mempool height or, uh, or transaction rate a few blocks ago, but it looks like it's died down. I got, I don't know. I got five blocks, maybe six blocks that are full. All the rest of them ha still have some space in it, but they're coming across in a pretty timely manner. So everything there looks good. Let's look at lightning, uh, 11,236, no uh, total nodes, we have almost 36,000 channels and 883 Bitcoin in those channels. That's $8,171,000 in liquidity. Uh, 29 nodes came online in the last 24 hours. That's 141% increase on a day-over-day -day basis. But the number of new channels is only 120, and that represents a six and a quarter percent drop that's going to do it for Vitals. Uh, so Jack Mallers is going to be the leadoff story for Morning Roundup. I mean, God, how, how the hell couldn't it be? Uh, unless you're living under a rock, Jack Mallers dropped a little bit of lightning news yesterday. <laughs> He's announcing Lightning Network Strike. Uh, you'll be able to find that at LN underscore strike. Now, Jack dropped a pretty beefy, um, <laughs> a pretty beefy blog post uh, for the announcement of LN Strike or just Strike. It's built on the Olympus stuff that they announced. Oh, God, what was it a couple of months ago or about a month ago? Uh, they did some finagling with it, and they turned it into something pretty cool. Long and short of it, you'll be able to get Strike, uh, enter in a debit or credit card, and pay a Lightning invoice directly from your credit card or debit card, which means that your bank account 
is actually acting as the liquidity pool. It's being converted and I don't know the guts of it. Okay. I will, we'll find the, the gut. We'll find more details out about this as, as this thing gets rolled out because it's only in beta. All right. Well, I'll get to the point where you can participate in the beta here in a minute, but essentially I can have the way that it looks. I can have a, the, the strike app. I can link my debit card to it. And without doing anything other than scanning a QR code, I can have a lightning transaction driven from my bank account directly to the invoice to pay that invoice. Generally speaking, what has to happen is that I got to get a lightning wallet. I got to have some Bitcoin. I got to move some Bitcoin over into the lightning wallet, into a channel. That thing's got to be kind of liquid. If I'm, especially if I'm, if, well, if I'm doing uh, self custody, if I just have blue wallet, it'd be, you know, or something like that, a, a custodial wallet, it becomes easier, but not your keys, not your coins. If you have a custodial wallet, you don't own your keys. Okay. Just be very clear about that. Um, in this particular case, it looks like I'll just be able to spend a lot or spend to a lightning invoice directly from my bank account with actually having to put fiat into Bitcoin, putting Bitcoin into a lightning channel, and then being able to pay a lightning invoice from there. So essentially, it kind of kills a couple of steps. That will be great for adoption. Let's see what this blog post has to say. Now, I'm going to start in the middle of it because it gives a little bit of background, and most of you guys don't need to know that. And it's kind of a lengthy post. So, you know, I'm kind of, you know, want to be careful with your time here. So I'm going to start in the middle of Jack Maller's post. This is the medium.com announcing strike by Zap. Creating a wallet, custody, and owning Bitcoin. That's the first header that we're going for. Many of our testers were not as familiar with Bitcoin as many reading this post. If we want millions of mainstream consumers benefiting from Bitcoin and Lightning, surely we should test that audience in mind. When asking a given user if they would buy an article for a few pennies, the answer was almost always yes. However, when they were told it required installing a Lightning wallet and buying Bitcoin, their answer was no thanks. Quote, I have a few pennies in USD. If that's not enough for the article, then I don't care to buy it. That's a direct quote. Setting up a wallet, waiting for some, something you don't understand to finish sinking, being limited in your ability to buy something called capacity, and having to buy Bitcoin and manage backups was far too much for almost all users. Many of our testers didn't even get to the point of purchase. It was all a bit overwhelming. That hit me hard. Okay, I get it. Volatility and taxes are tough, but you don't even want to own Bitcoin? For fuck's sake, how am I supposed to allow you to benefit from this technology? Probably my favorite quote in the post. <laughs> if we look at my Olympus demo, we can see how I owned zero Bitcoin and my goal was to pay a bit refill QR code. <clears throat> Video follows. I won't play it. Did I really need to download a Lightning Wallet, write down my seed phrase, back up my channels, and be exposed to tax consequences and volatility to pay the bit refill Lightning invoice? I wasn't using Bitcoin to speculate, and I wasn't using Bitcoin for censorship resistance or privacy as my identity and debit card was linked to my node. What if my debit card could pay the Lightning invoice? What if by connecting my bank account, <clears throat> I can scan any Lightning invoice, hit pay, and it would work? No wallet, no backups, no channels, no capacity, no custody issues, no volatility, no taxes. 
What if instead of spend and replace, it was buy and spend in seconds without noticing? What if the few pennies in USD from the above user was enough? What would that look like? It would look like strike. (laughs) That's what it would look like. In order to accomplish this, a debit card or a bank account would need to be interoperable with Bitcoin and the Lightning Network, lowering the barrier to entry into this new economy. Users wouldn't have to deal with volatility. They wouldn't have to deal with taxes. They wouldn't need to set up a wallet to interact with the protocols, and they wouldn't even need to own Bitcoin to scan a Lightning QR code. What if everyone's bank account could speak Bitcoin? The jump from Olympus to Strike is quite small. We simply added a few things or removed a few things, small, simple, totally ordinary and innocuous things. However, because of the way we were able to integrate them into the environment, they have this decisive impact and became extremely powerful. We aren't just changing how Bitcoin looks, but also how it feels. We're changing a consumer's relationship with Bitcoin and Lightning, how it is used and how it is viewed. We're opening up new ambitions, new ideas, new possibilities, and new mainstream audience. We have Strike for iOS, Android, desktop, and a browser extension. You can view a playlist of demos I put together here on my YouTube channel. Link follows. Bank accounts and debit cards can now speak to nodes all over the world, and nodes all over the world can now speak to bank accounts and debit cards. The possibilities are endless. The sky's the limit. Can Strike be used to buy Bitcoin? Sure. Create an invoice from your existing wallet and pay it. After completion, you'll have less fiat in Strike and more Bitcoin in your wallet. Can Strike be used to sell Bitcoin? Sure. Create a request in Strike and send it from your wallet. After completion, you'll have more fiat in Strike and less Bitcoin in your wallet. Can Strike be used for remittance payments? Yes, of course it can. Just scan the QR code and click pay. Can Strike be used for internet tipping? Of course it can. Just scan the QR code and click pay. Is Strike another custodial wallet? No, not at all. It owns nobody's coins and nobody's keys. If BTC is hacked and stolen, it's my BTC and I'm fucked. Nobody else. That's the way it should be. In a weird way, it's a beautiful and innovative hybrid. There are real people using Strike today. Let me tell you my favorite user story so far. My family owns a cannabis business in Colorado. In Colorado, there are only a handful of banks in the entire state willing to bank those in the cannabis industry, and the wait list to be banked by ours is now longer than two years. Our family business struggles to stay banked, operates a security budget to protect and migrate cash in our stores, and we've struggled immensely with payment processors. Those processing payments in the cannabis industry charge between 5 and 15% and are known to be unreliable and unstable. For example, ours was recently down for two months, leaving us unable to process any credit or debit card payments. This leaves businesses exposed and allows Strike to provide a level of fault tolerance otherwise missing. When I visited Colorado for Christmas, I showed my parents Strike. We ran to the store and I demoed it to all of our upper management and employees. My parents were all running, <clears throat> sorry, already running a BTC pay server instance and offered a 10% discount for anyone who paid in BTC as it was much easier for us to accept. The problem was no customer was able to get a Lightning wallet set up to make payments ranging from between $0.10 cents and $500. <clears throat> With Strike, this changes immediately. All you need is the app and a debit card. 
We passed Strike around to a few frequent customers and family friends telling them if you use this app, you'll get a 10% discount. It worked. Customers young and old were using Strike to shop at our store, getting a discount and helping our business. Do they know what Bitcoin is? I have no idea. Did they know they were using Bitcoin under the hood as a payment rail to transfer and settle value? Absolutely not. Bitcoin was behind the scenes making a difference and benefiting individual lives and businesses without anyone noticing they were even using it. Let me say that again. Without anybody noticing they were even using it. For all this, this I'm going to stray away here. For all that Peter McCormick bitches about the how hard shit is to use, if what Jack Mallers is saying in this blog post is true, then the UX just jumped up in ease of use by a couple of orders of magnitude, if not by orders of orders of magnitude. My God Almighty. <clears throat> the possibilities are endless. What about Twitch scammers or streamer scammers? <laughs> there may be more truth to that than you know. <clears throat> what about Twitch streamers and content creators? Content creators can set up a strike donation page, and every time someone donates BTC, they get fiat in their bank account or whatever custom fiat BTC ratio they'd like. Magic. The smallest changes can be transformative, but they have to be the right changes. Discovering what those changes are takes patience. You have to pay attention. You have to be available in response. Lightning offers real-time cheap and global settlement and self-clearing to the world's first natively digital asset class. We've put in the work to make the barrier of entry low and the flexibility plus ease of use high. There's a lot of real-time and automated risk management, trading compliance and legal policy, application and protocol development to test. As I've said before, this is not a race, and we will go at our own pace. However, we do feel ready to expand those helping us test strike. So here's the plan. Okay, guys, this is where you listen up to get into the beta. <clears throat> we will continually widen our beta every week and start with U.S. users only. That's the United States. Until we feel comfortable opening up usage globally, our goal is to be in a public beta and put strike on app stores in the coming months. This will take a community effort. A lot of testing, reporting of bugs, feedback on features, and collaboration. If you'd like to join the beta list, you can do so at strike.zaphq.io. I'm going to say that again. Strike, S-T-R-I-K-E dot zap, Z-A-P-H-Q dot I-O. If you have a special use case and really want to start testing today, email me at zap at jackmallers.com. I'd love to hear your story and get you a downloaded link. You all know me. I have big plans, partnerships to be announced, new products and features, and events I'll be hosting in Chicago to demonstrate the tech. This is certainly exciting, but very much the beginning. All right, everyone, that's all I have for today. Not only am I unbelievably excited, but I have a newfound sense of ambition and a list of thank yous follows. So go read that whole blog post uh, again uh, to try to wrap your head around what just happened. Because what just happened is important. And if you don't think it is, then rewind what I was just saying and listen to it again. Or go read the blog post or and make sure that you hook up on Twitter with at LN underscore strike. 
That's at LN underscore strike. This very well may be as important as BTC pay server. I'll say it again. This is as important in my view as BTC pay server. What Jack Mallers has been doing has been incredible. That young man is fucking my hero. Well, definitely one of my heroes. I mean, that, that it's weird when you got somebody who is like not even close to your age and you're looking up to this guy. That says a lot about what Jack's been doing out there in the background. Not all by himself, but he started it all by himself. And the community just grew and grew and grew. There's lots of things that's going on with Mr. Mallers that that is very impressive. However, right now, on Brexit Day, the coolest thing that Jack's got going is strike and the ability to not give a shit about anything other than being able to scan an LN or a Lightning Network QR code and pay it right out of your bank account. That's got to be that that's something in my opinion now moving on Elon Musk's Tesla is bitcoin on wheels and the bubble will burst warns GLJ research CEO this is daily hodl staff writing sometime this morning for the daily hodl the CEO of the Chicago-based investment firm GLJ research is comparing Tesla's skyrocketing stock to bitcoin In a new interview with Fox Business, Gordon Johnson says Elon Musk's flagship car company is like, quote, Bitcoin on wheels, and the bubble is bound to burst. Quote, we think this is a bubble. We think it's effectively Bitcoin on wheels. We think a lot of people are scared to miss the upside. If you look at the numbers, their net income for the year is just under negative 900 million. (laughs) The revenue growth in Q4 was up just 2.2%, and we think that 2020 is going to be a disaster for them. The growth story is China. The coronavirus is going to significantly dent car demand in China, and their U.S. sales last year were down 3%. GM's was only down 2.2%. Johnson also compared the, compares the number of cars Tesla is deliver, delivering to the number General Motors is pumping out and says the wide gap shows Tesla's market cap should be significantly lower. Quote, if you look at the numbers, Tesla is effectively guiding to just over 500,000 in production this year, effectively, by those estimates, deliveries. In February of last year, they guided to 420,000 to 600,000 cars delivered. 420! They delivered 367,500 cars. So the guidance for this year is lower than the high end of the guidance they gave for 2019 last year. Think about it. Think about it. They are trading at a multiple of GM's market cap. GM does 500,000 cars in three weeks, so we think it's gotten ahead of itself. Bitcoin is known for its extreme, oh, sorry, end quote. Bitcoin is known for its extreme volatility and its history of mounting parabolic rallies followed by crashes of 80% or more. Although the emerging asset remains extremely risky, the top cryptocurrency was the best performing asset, asset of the last decade, beating stocks, bonds, and commodities worldwide. So... The guy compares Tesla to Bitcoin. (laughs) Uh, uh, It hurts. And it hurts to say this too, because I know there's so many fans of Tesla out there, but he's not wrong about Tesla. I mean, with those numbers, guys, 
I, they're doing in a year what GM does in three weeks, and yet Tesla stock is trading at multiples of GM stock. Honestly, I don't get it either. I'm looking at $650 or $500 and whatever it is right now. It's like, I think it's, it's north of $550 for a one share of Tesla. And I don't get what, I don't get it. I, I don't, I really don't get it. They're expensive. That I, there's not a whole lot of them. I, I, I don't see what the thing is other than fear of missing out. At this point, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not going to be buying Tesla stock. You do with your money what you want to go do. I'm just like, I, this looks like buying the top to me. I don't know, man. But Elon Musk is sort of one of those magical creatures, right? He's somehow or another magic just follows him like fucking pixie dust or something. So you never know. This, this whole rally could continue because one thing is true. The markets will stay irrational a hell of a lot longer than you can stay solvent. Give you that one. Daily Hodel staff is writing again, except this time yesterday, that Warren Buffett's pal is rebooting the largest Bitcoin exchange in India. Entrepreneur, investor, and attorney Raul Pagdapati is firing up a reboot of crypto exchanges ZebPay. Prior to getting shut down in 2018, ZebPay was the largest Bitcoin trading platform in India, while Pagdapati, 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 hey, I think I got it, Pagdapati, is strategizing for a ZebPay comeback. The crypto enthusiast is also planning to convince his friend Warren Buffett to invest in Bitcoin and Ethereum, despite the legendary investor's longstanding criticism of Bitcoin. Patapati, whose Twitter profile pictures him alongside his Berkshire Hathaway CEO friend, highlights his goal of flipping a Buffett. Quote, as the CEO of ZedPay, I'm going to slowly but surely convince my good friend Warren Buffett to hodl some Bitcoin and Ethereum. He used to not like Apple or airline stocks, but now is a huge shareholder of both. Okay. According to the exchange's official announcement, ZedPay is ushering in a whole new team of executives. The exchange will implement crypto-to-crypto trading, selected no-fee trading on various crypto pairs, and a passive income and borrowing program that allows crypto investors to earn money on their holdings. ZedPay, founded in 2014, has served over 3 million crypto users worldwide, enabling over $2 billion in fiat transactions and powering roughly two-thirds of the crypto transactions in India at its peak before relocating to Malta in 2018 amidst the country's widespread crypto crackdown. In February of 2019, it launched in five European markets, serving retail users as well as corporate investors. <clears throat> Pagadapati says he's ready for the long-haul battle to legitimize crypto and expand into mainstream markets. I am all in and won't quit until we have clear regulations like other top-tier countries. Oh, good Lord, they really blew the editing on this one. USA, Japan, Singapore, Australia. I am a, I am Florida bar certified attorney and understand law, economies, blockchain. We will also, we will always follow the law, but like Gandhi, we will fight against unjust law. As for Buffett, who has called Bitcoin a delusion and a gambling device and rat poison squared, has yet to say he's a big holder of cryptocurrency despite Bitcoin beating the S&P 500 and finishing up the decade at its highest perform as its highest performing asset. So apparently since India has credibly 
relaxed their stance on crypto, uh, Zeb Pay is going to reinsert itself back into India. Honestly, it's probably good for Bitcoin. Uh, it's not good for shitcoin holders be- because their bags are going to be able to be uh, ever filled again with garbage that's going to get them wrecked. <clears throat> Bitcoin price cap or Bitcoin price pulls back to 9.2K. BTC realized cap hits all-time high. Alan Scott writing for Cointelegraph this morning. The move to 9,530 resulted in a new three-month high for BTC slash USD alongside rising volume, pointing to an overall bullish trend that has persisted in the first month of 2020. Meanwhile, the founder and CEO of global macro investor Raul Paul suggested today that more interest rate cuts by the United States Federal Reserve are coming, which is expected to have a positive effect on the cryptocurrency market, quote, The bond market, already rallying on weakness, saw the light immediately, and two-year yields collapsed, breaking key support and a new cyclical low, he tweeted on January the 31st, adding, quote, the Fed are going to have to cut, cut aggressively and soon. Powell, a former head of equities and equities derivatives at Goldman Sachs UK office, explained that the bond market trend is now set and that the reaction of central banks is well understood. Quote, the commodity markets rightly got the signal fast, too. The knock-on effects are now spreading slowly into the currency markets. That is where I think the next phase lies, end quote, explained Powell, adding to strengthening fundamentals of Bitcoin, such as the record hash rate and mining difficulty. On-chain data monitoring service Glassnode reported on January the 31st that the realized cap, or the one-day MA, has hit a all-time high of over $100 billion. The realized cap is an alternative calculation of Bitcoin's market capitalization derived by multiplying the price each Bitcoin last traded by the size of each trade. This figure has now passed $103,459,000,000, which is higher than the previous all-time high of $103,455,000,000 million observed on November the 18th last year as reported by Cointelegraph the realized cap broke 100 billion dollars for the first time last August in January the price of bitcoin is following a bullish scenario as presented earlier this month by Cointelegraph markets analyst Michael Vandepope Similarly, the price has broken to the upside in recent weeks, breaking a seven-month-old downtrend to the upside, signaling the likely end of downward momentum amid an overall shift in market sentiment. Quote, the targets based on previous support resistance and Fibonacci levels first include $8,000. If that's broken, the price is ready to aim for $9,100 to $9,500, which would typically shift the sentiment from fear to neutral, correctly predicted Vandepop in a January 4th analysis. Currently, the crypto and fear index currently reads 55 or greed, according to the latest data, which suggests that a short-term pullback in price is now likely. Quote, there may be a bit of a sell-off, but I'm still expecting the bulls to finish the week strong and looking to buy dips, said Cointelegraph markets contributor and analyst Flibflib in private comments. The overall cryptocurrency market 
cap now stands at around $254 billion US and Bitcoin's dominance rate is 66.3%. Large cap altcoin performance was mixed with Litecoin as the standing standout gaining 4.19%. Good God. And Ether slightly in the green over the past 24 hours. BSV was among the notable losers, down over 10% by press time, alongside Ethereum Classic and Dash, which were down 10.3 and 7.4% respectively. So there you go. Apparently, there's yet another indicator in the news on how we can all be addicted to hopium. That's okay. I'm I'm hopeful. (laughs) There's no reason not to be hopeful. Let's see what the price is doing right now. Yeah. I got a yeah. Just had a green candle last hour. Uh, we're chilling out at nine thousand three hundred and six. I don't know. Looks pretty good to me. USA versus Virgil Griffith. What we know and don't in the bombshell crypto sanctions case. Prosecute. Oh, this is Nicholas Day writing for CoinDesk. Uh, when what? When did he write this? Yep, oh, this is this morning. Yay. Prosecutors appear to have a strong case against Virgil Griffith, the Ethereum developer charged with conspiring to aid North Korea, legal experts say. For one thing, the mere act of giving a presentation in Pyongyang Pyongyang, might have violated the United States Treasury Department Office of Foreign Asset Controls sanctions, depending on what he said there, according to lawyers interviewed by Coindesk. So could attempting to transfer money between the Democratic People's Republic of North Korea and another nation, as Griffith allegedly did, it probably won't help his case if the government proves he traveled to North Korea after the State Department denied him permission, He as alleged. Griffith pleaded not guilty during an arraignment Thursday, which kicks off the next phase of discovery. Prosecutors told a federal judge some documents have already been produced with more to come. The full amount of evidence that they have to support their case has yet to be made public, including any exculpatory evidence that would show Griffith did not violate sanctions restrictions. The U.S. government takes takes sanctions, quote, very seriously. God, you, you think? You, you think? No, we just put sanctions in place, but eh, don't worry about it. Of course, they take sanctions very seriously, said Stephen Rutenberg, an attorney at the Polishnelli Law Firm. It wasn't like he was going there to play music. Maybe he was. You don't know. <clears throat> Griffith's attorney, Baker Marquat partner, Brian Klein, declined to comment for the story, but has previously said Griffith should not have been indicted and that his team looks forward to presenting the facts of the case to a jury. Klein is quickly becoming a celebrity lawyer in the crypto and cybersecurity space, successfully representing high-profile clients, including Charlie Shrem, Eric Voorhees, and EOS's Block One, among others. The case is likely to be one of the most closely watched in crypto history. It's the first sanctions case in a United States court involving cryptocurrency. And comes at a time when the technology's potential to bypass international restrictions on monetary flows is starting to spook the financial establishment. For example, former high-level government officials and academics believe a digital currency in some form could help so-called rogue nations undermine U.S. global hegemony as gamed out in November by Harvard Kennedy School in a simulation. Prosecutors secured the indictment on January the 8th, charging Griffith with conspiracy to violate the International Economic Economic Emergency Economic Powers Act and adding an unnamed co-conspirator to be charged in the future. 
The Department of Justice arrested Griffin, Griffith, an Ethereum Foundation staffer and research scientist, in late November. So far, U.S. authorities have published a handful of documents related to the case, stating Griffith had been booked on charges of violating two executive orders prohibiting certain transactions and activities in North Korea, as well as, as some associated legal violations. While Griffith is perhaps best known for his work on Ethereum, the case is not so much a crypto case as it is a national security issue that happens to involve the technology, said Jake Chernivsky, general counsel at Compound Finance. Quote, it should go without saying that any U.S. citizen who travels to North Korea and advises DPRK officials on how to evade sanctions will be in trouble with the authorities, regardless of whether crypto is involved or not, Chernevsky said, though he was quick to add the defense has yet to be presented. Quote, although the allegations look bad for Griffith, we should remember that he is entitled to the presumption of innocence and hasn't had the chance to tell his side of the story yet, Chervinsky said, not nor is the case that about truth, justice, or a moral crusade, said Danforth Newcomb, an attorney with law firm Scheman and Sterling with a background in litigation and sanctions. In his view, the case boils down to the enforcement community's understanding of the regulations, which Griffith's alleged actions violated. Executive Order 13722, signed by Donald Trump in 2016, prohibits U.S. persons from exporting, ser- exporting services to North Korea. Quote, the facts, as reported in the press, pretty clearly looks like an exported service. And I suspect in that interview, he is reported to have given in the F- to the FBI he admitted to facts that amount to exporting services, Newcomb said of Griffith. U.S. citizens are U.S. persons, even when on foreign soil, he noted. That should be something we all remember. The complaint further adds that Griffith began formulating plans to facilitate the exchange of an unspecified cryptocurrency between the DPRK and South Korea, acknowledging that this would violate U.S. sanctions and yet still expressing a desire to return to North Korea. Even if Griffith did not intend to conduct the transaction himself, simply showing the North Koreans how to do so would also violate OFAC regulations, Newcomb said. Quote, in OFAC regulations, there is a facilitation concept which says that a U.S. person can't facilitate a transaction or activity that U.S. persons can't do themselves, he said. This could, for example, include telling a citizen of some other nation how to give a presentation on fintech in North Korea, which the complaint alleges Griffith did, though at least one witness to the conference claims the sanctions never came up. Griffith could see a, could see a few different issues in fighting the case should he not arrange a plea bargain. Newcomb said there are a few precedents that have successfully challenged OFAC in court, while Shervinsky noted national security offenses have a significant amount of pre- precedential, precedential cases. Precedent, precedents that have come before. Griffith might claim everything he discussed during his presentation is public material. The Berman Amendment to the IEEPA prevents OFAC from restricting informational materials in the public domain from being bought or sold within sanctioned nations. But this argument may not hold up in court. Quote, I think it will be OFAC's position that it is irrelevant whether what he discussed in North Korea was open source or not, Newcomb said. The DOJ has been prosecuting national security cases for decades, Chernivsky said. In recent years, the DOJ has even 
oh, so has even had a specific group, the National Security Division, responsible for such case, cases. Quote, the law applies equally, regardless of the type of financial tool that the defendant uses to violate national security laws. While the indictment handed down on January the 9th reiterates the government's allegations in the matter, it is largely unclear what specifically Griffith said during his speech and what information he shared with the North Korean government, Rutenberg said. There is a difference between helping the government evade sanctions and just providing some basic general information about blockchains. Griffith's conversations with the FBI may also have an impact, at least theoretically, Rutenberg said. While Griffith was arrested in California, he was transferred to the Southern District of New York late last month. He was released on bail. While he has so far physically appeared in at least one of his hearings in New York, he now resides at his parents' home in Alabama. So... Griffith, Virgil's in a shit ton of trouble. So word to the wise. And like I, like I said, like when I first started, you know, kind of telling you guys about this, when, when this case first started breaking, um, not that big of a fan of, of sanctions. I'm also not a fan of North Korea. Fuck them. That whole shithole just needs to get, I don't know, be, learn how to turn lights on. First of all, before you start thinking that you're going to, evade United States sanctions with blockchain technology. You guys don't even have the fucking internet. No, seriously, there's no internet in North Korea, except only available to the highest level government officials. Yeah. Yeah. That I that, this whole thing is just weird. Honestly, uh, again, you know, not a fan of sanctions, especially when the United States sanctions like countries that, I don't know, that don't really do anything at all. North Korea is, I guess, a different case. But still, guys, the borderless, the whole thing about this being borderless, if we really want that to be the ethic, then we can't go around saying, rah, rah, Virgil's in trouble because he violated United States sanctions. That kind of goes against the whole damn thing, remember? Okay, so... Here we have another court thing going on. Jack Martin is writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. Silk Road Marketplace senior advisor pleads guilty in United States federal court. A senior advisor to the operator of the Silk Road Dark Web Marketplace has pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to distribute narcotics in a Manhattan federal court. According to a United States Department of Justice press release dated January the 30th, Roger Thomas Clark was a key figure in the development of the Silk Road, advising on all aspects of the enterprise and even attempting to arrange a murder for hire to protect its interests. Might need to come back to that because that sounds chillingly similar to what Ross Ulbricht got, uh, went down for, and yet that charge got dropped. So let's see what, what else is in here. Silk Road creator Ross Ulbricht described Clark, who uses a number of online aliases such as Variety Jones and Plural of Mongoose as a, quote, real mentor, who advised about the security and running of the site. Clark was purportedly instrumental in advising Ulbricht to concoct a cover story that he had sold the Silk Road website and was responsible for gathering information on the authorities' investigation of the site. Additionally, Clark is accused of urging and facilitating an attempted murder for hire of a Silk Road employee who was suspected of stealing $350,000 of Bitcoin from the organization, prosecution of which is ongoing. Okay, guys, stop right here. 
Cointelegraph and the rest of you rags out there, if you're going to do like talk about what Bitcoin was stolen, tell us how much Bitcoin was stolen, not what it was worth. Because I don't know if they stole $350,000 worth of Bitcoin at the time or enough Bitcoin right now, like that, that at the price right now that it's worth $350,000. At this point, the measurement in fiat currency is confusing. You need to stop doing it. Start, just tell me how much BTC they stole or Satoshis. I don't give a shit. Those are easily reconcilable with each other. But when you tell me that X amount of dollars of BTC was stolen, I have zero idea what the hell you're talking about. Let's continue. The Silk Road Marketplace was created by Ulbricht in January of 2011 and operated until 2013. It facilitated the sale of narcotics and other illegal goods and services using a Bitcoin-based payment system to hide the identities of users until its infiltration and, and eventual closure by the FBI. As Cointelegraph reported, jailed Ulbricht has a lot of support in the cryptocurrency community, with Tim Draper recently calling for his release. Ulbricht himself has remained a supporter of Bitcoin, recently predicting that the price would hit $100,000 in 2020. New data suggests that the use of cryptocurrencies on dark net markets doubled last year. A recent report from a New York-based blockchain analytics firm, Chainalysis, found that darknet markets have significantly increased their share of total incoming crypto transactions in 2019, doubling from 0.04% in 2018 to 0.08%. And if you had listened to the show yesterday, you'd find out that those are historically low numbers. Cointelegraph did not do themselves any, they did not put themselves in their good graces twice in this story. I don't know what the hell $350,000 of Bitcoin means when we're talking about a story that started in 2011. And the fact that you completely misrepresented the amount of Bitcoin being used on dark markets as doubling is reprehensible. Cointelegraph, is this, this is, who is this? Jack Martin. Jack, you got to get your shit together, man. Because it's very clear that these are the lowest levels of Bitcoin used on dark markets in the history of Bitcoin. And yet you present it like it's doubled. That's bullshit, man. That's complete bullshit, Jack. Okay, last one up. Few banks will touch crypto firms, but Silvergate wants to touch Bitcoin itself. And as I tweeted out today, show me on the doll where CEO of Silvergate touched you. Silvergate Bank is venturing even further into a field where few financial institutions dare to tiptoe. Nathan D. Camillo's writing for Coindesk.com sometime this morning. Is it this morning? No, this was actually yesterday. <clears throat> the Lajola California lender made a name for itself by providing hard-to-come-by U.S. dollar banking services for businesses that deal in cryptocurrency. But now Silvergate wants to handle digital assets themselves. While the bank has no such services on its roadmap yet, it has applied for the New York trust license with the aim of providing custody and settled settlement for crypto. One example of this might look like providing settlement services for their Bitcoin trade, Silvergate CEO Alan Lane said. In this scenario, Silvergate would be the intermediary, intermediary ensuring settlement for a fiat for Bitcoin exchange between two participants on its Silvergate exchange network a payments platform that allows commercial customers to instantly move U.S. dollars between crypto exchanges. 
quote, in order for us to be able to, in order for us to be able to be that trusted intermediary, we have to be able to touch the digital assets ourselves, Lane said. Think about it as if Silvergate also had the ability to be the SEN for Bitcoin. And that's the Silvergate Exchange Network. That That's what SEN stands for. End quote. The service, almost certainly the first of its kind offered by a United States commercial bank, wouldn't apply to retail investors or institutional investors that are ready, already comfortable with Bitcoin as an asset class. Quote, it's folks that aren't quite ready to be in the business, and part of the reason is because this doesn't exist, Lane said, emphasizing the bank doesn't yet have a product in mind to solve the problem. Quote, our current customers, they've already figured out a way to get comfortable with this, but they tell us there are other counterparties out there that they're not yet doing business with because they don't have a trusted way to settle. End quote. Lane spoke to Coindesk Thursday <coughs> after Silvergate's first conference call as a publicly traded company. Earlier in the day, it had reported fourth quarter results, including a 6% increase in crypto clients and a 4% decrease in deposits from those clients. Silvergate's, Silvergate Bank's 2020 will be characterized by staff getting the bank's Bitcoin collateralized margin lending running well and solving other pain points in the digital asset industry, Lane said. Salary expenses climbed nearly 6% from a year earlier to $8.7 million in the fourth quarter. The majority of this went toward customer service and software engineers, Lane said when asked what share of the expenses was from compliance costs. The bank does spend money on compliance, of course. Silvergate uses both chain analysis and elliptic, Lane said. These vendors analyze the public blockchain to flag suspicious activity, which banks are required under Federal Reserve regulations to report. With $2.1 billion in assets, Silvergate is a relatively small institution, 0.07% the size of J.P. Morgan. The asset side of its balance sheet looks like a traditional community lender composed mainly of real estate loans, but that may soon start to evolve. In the immediate future, Silvergate's biggest focus is its pilot of the SEN leverage product, which allows proprietary traders to put up Bitcoin as collateral for fiat loans they can use to buy more Bitcoin. Since the 90 to 180 day plot will include only SEN participants, the bank will be able to monitor SEN leverage loans more closely than it could other types of loans. Quote, we will be able to monitor the loan, the collateral underlying the loan, and the balance of the loan 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We'll be able to monitor this much more closely than we can monitor just about any other loan we make, Lane said. In response to the question from analysts in the, <clears throat> in the company's earning call about yield on SEN loans, Lane said, quote, the way we've thought about this initially is this would likely be a high single-digit type of cost of the borrower. In the interview, Lane emphasized the bank would take advantage of crypto customers on SEN loans just because other banks aren't offering the same product. Quote, we're certainly not going to poke their eyes out on what we're, cha- on what we're charging them, Lane said. Silvergate is also working to increase the number of fiat currencies it supports for foreign exchange transactions on the SEN to include at least five or the top five to 10 major global currencies from fourth quarter 2018 to fourth quarter 2019. Volume on the SEN increased by 150% to an all-time high 
of almost 15,000 transactions handling $9.6 billion, quote, our customers are saying we'd love to have SIN for the euro and the SIN for the yen, Lane said. That involves having correspondent banking relationships with banks in those areas where those currencies are predominant and then being able to create a similar type of network as to what we've created with the SIN. Taking Silvergate public has given the crypto industry a clear window into the bank's business. It also positions Silvergate to more easily raise capital should the need arise. Currently, Silvergate has 10.5% leverage ratio, meaning the bank has more than twice the amount of capital required by banking regulators, which is 5%. Quote, on that metric alone, we could double the size of the bank and not run out of capital, Lane said. That's just one metric, and I'm not suggesting we would do that. But if we saw that leverage ratio going down to 8%, we would look to raise additional capital. So Silvergate, for those of you who don't know, is like, you know, if you, if you didn't catch it, they're literally the only bank that's giving a shit about the cryptocurrency space. As far as being able to bank the, I don't know how to, to bank the unbanked that is crypto, which is, God, it's just mind-blowingly fractal when you think about it, because that's what we're here for, is to bank the unbanked. Silvergate, watch these guys. Because they're because their boldness is taking them into clearly what's going to be the first and largest cryptocurrency enabled bank system, they're going to end up being one of the largest banks in the world. Um, they they just got taken public. Hold on for a sec. Let's see what let's see about that. Hold on. Okay, so Silvergate uh, Capital Corporation's stock ticker symbol is SI. It looks like SI. I'm pretty pretty sure it's hard to tell with some of these fonts as to what's an I and what's an L in capital. Um, th- currently, their stock is trading at $14.81. Their initial public offering occurred on November the 7th, 2019, and then <clears throat> they offered it at $12.52 USD. So it's already gained, I don't know, a buck. And it got to a high of $16.43. And if, like I said, right now it's at $14.81. So it's been sort of like going sideways and sort of down. Um, unless they screw up really badly, I expect that stock price to, to rise. That may be something to look at. I mean, you know, it wasn't about digging gold out of the hills in California during the the gold rush. It was about selling them picks and shovels. Those are the guys, the guys that sold food, gloves, wagons, barrels, shit like that. They were the guys that were constantly selling stuff. If you were one of the guys that was buying stuff, you were constantly losing your money. And you may or may not pull gold out of them thar hills, as the saying goes. Um, So... It would it be better to be one of the companies that sells the picks and shovels, or would it even be better to be one of the companies that owns five different stores that sell picks and shovels? I'm just saying, might want to look at Silvergate Capital Corporation, uh, NYSE symbol S. I again that's trading at $14.80 right now. That's going to do it for the morning roundup.
I'm going to say a few words about fear of missing out here. Uh, we were talking about Tesla earlier. Clearly, the, the stock price is going up. Price of Bitcoin is going up. Uh, you, it, it, with, with this kind of stuff, it's just better to stay uh, the uh, uh, daily cost average, you know, just, just dollar co- daily cost average or dollar cost average, whatever you want to call it. Uh, just like 20 bucks a day. If you can't afford that 20 bucks a week, you know, just, just buy it all the time. It's not about, you know, it's not about making killer gains and then bailing out by selling. That's, that's not what, that's not what I'm here for. It may be what you're here for and that's okay. You know, you, you can do whatever the hell you want. It's your, your damn life. Um, but for those who are looking at this as just purely speculative and that you're trading it just to get in, just so that you can jump back out. I, I wouldn't do that because, you know, there's always the potential to be caught with your britches down and find yourself being the last in line.
Okay, the daily train wreck is going to be representative of, of not one wreck, but two, because they're combined in the same damn tweet. So this is a retweet from Taylor Monahan, and she's retweeting with her apparent nuggets of wisdom, nuggets of wisdom that came from Evan Van Ness, or Evan underscore Van underscore Ness, also known as Evan.Ethereum.Eth who apparently said, I love 2-Bit Idiot, but this is crazy. If BTC is still number one in market cap in five years, then crypto failed. And you may as well sell any and all crypto you hold. Value does not accrue to the stagnant. Yeah, I'd, I'd go ahead and play the the uh, uh, sound effect there, but we got a little bit more to go. Um, Taylor decides that she's going to throw in, you know, her weight around here and give us, you know, a peep into her brain because she says, I concur with this, but maybe not, or maybe for the reasons even is thinking on. It's not that I'm more bullish on ETH or Tron or that BTC isn't valuable. It's that for fuck's sake, if we do as little in the next five as the last Someone else will solve problems, and Facebook will have the number one spot. She's talking about the last five years. Because apparently, in Bitcoin, nothing has been done in the last five years. Not a thingy-dingy. This is what I was talking about after I, when I was commenting on the St. Crispian's Day speech. We are beset on all sides by morons and people who are just so salty that they are helping to fuel these morons into doing anything that they can to take you know, Bitcoin down. What they don't understand is that they're hacking at their own damn tree. They're literally hacking and trying to pour gas on and otherwise light on fire, the very thing that gives all of this space its perceived security. Perceived is an important word. Only Bitcoin has the security that I'm talking about. All other security is perceived because they're generally created by scammers, thieves, scumbags, intellectual miscreants, you name it. They ain't the people this is, let me put it to you this way. These are not the droids you're looking for, bud. They are not. Taylor, congratulations for being on the, the latest addition to the smoldering pile chilling out there in the corner. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes, who says... I always carry a picture of my wife and children in my wallet. It reminds me why there's no money in there. All right, so not so much of a joke as a statement of fact, but since we're running long, have a good weekend. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.